Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox. everybody and welcome to Beneath the Surface. Glad you could join us today. Paul Morano here with your guest, Mr. John Tudoris. John, welcome to Beneath the Surface. Howdy. Today we are going to uh, do number eight of our series on the creed beneath the surface. And just to recap a little bit, show number one was, I believe, show number two in one God. Number three, all things, of all things, uh, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty was number three, maker of heaven and earth. Number four, of all things visible and invisible. And that was a fun one. We got to talk about angels and demons. Number five, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, number six, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. And our last show, number seven, was... God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Which brings us to show number eight of the series, The Creed Beneath the Surface. We believe in one Lord, um, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. So mm -hmm. let, me just, let me just say that one, one more time. Begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father is what we are focusing on today. John, how are you? Great. Mr. Happy Sunday. Thank you very much. I like to be, um, Sunday is an important day. It's, I think it's important to say happy Sunday to people. Yeah. 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 Actually, now that I've, I've gotten, a, I think, a better understanding of happiness, um, <laughs> I think it's good to wish people happy any day of the week. But particularly Sunday. Sunday's good. And Friday, too. Uh, in one sentence, could you just, before we get into our show, uh, what have you learned about happiness? Uh, ultimate happiness is not found in this life. It's found in the next in the beatific vision. Ah, we ought so to aim for that. So in one sense, you're saying, you know, I wish you the beatific vision, which is comes from the next life, of course, but implicitly what you're saying is I hope that you have a day that brings you closer to that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you buy that? Uh, kind of. It's almost, it is almost <laughs> implicit. Uh, the more the mind gets conformed to the, the higher truth, the more when it's even said reflexively in a standard greeting, the the meaning is, uh, it just seems a lot less trivial than what it used to be. Yes, yes, all right. The non-trivial John Tudoris is um, a philosopher and a theologian, and he is a BTS regular, and not the Korean band, but the Beneath the Surface with Paul Morano regular uh, as a guest on our rotating schedule. So, Begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Let's begin at the beginning of that phrase, the, with the word begotten. 
Now, I talked about this a couple of shows ago with uh, Father Tony Blanche when he was on. And let me just get your take on this, John, on the word begotten. What does the word begotten made uh, mean? And how is it different from the word born? Uh, yeah, so uh, so both by, begotten and born uh, indicate uh, one coming from another or another or others. Yeah. Uh, the difference is that born happens in time in in creation. Begotten can mean that, but it, not necessarily. Uh, wait, well, I, I let me uh, respectfully uh, and and uh, in, in a spirit of uh, charity disagree with that. That's okay, <laughs> because you can say that born. You can use the term born both temporally and eternally too. Born of the Father before all ages, for example. Right. So, so the temporal and eternal part, I think you can use both of those terms. Um, there still needs to be a distinction though between born and begotten, and, and because. Um, uh, in scripture, you, you, ha you have the, both of the words, you know, yep. we, ha we have in the genealogies, for example, you have both begotten and born. And my take on this, and somebody who's watching may, may want to um, want to email us, because I really haven't researched this at all. But in my understanding, the, the term begotten means uh, being be coming forth from a father and the term born means more coming forth from a mother. The mother, the child was born of the mother, begotten of the father. No? But then that goes back to your point before, born of the father before all ages. So Correct. Correct. And that would be right. the exception, the exception to that rule. Hmm. What I did find interesting is that uh, Aquinas, uh, in his Summa Theologiae, uh, noted that begotten was related to generation. Hmm. And that the the father, the son is generated from the father. Yeah, yeah, and and so that would sort of relate to what I'm talking about. Begotten comes forth from the father. Yeah, generated of the father. Um. So the son, then, as the creed says, is begotten of the father, generated from or of the father, not made. Want to elaborate on that? Well, God's eternal. So, I mean, to this, I think yeah. it might be helpful just to briefly touch base on the nature of the Father. The Father, uh, Aquinas would say, if I'm not mistaken, he's the principle, not from a principle, meaning that a principle, uh, so he's not, he's basically the first principle in the, in the Trinity itself. Another uh, way of saying that is he is the source of God. Yes, he would the, be the, the source the, of the, the Trinity. Source. Okay, the and eternal he, source. And he has but one thought. And in the intellect of God, whose pure simplicity, meaning he's entirely perfectly one, that one thought comprehends all that is. And all that absolutely is, is God. So that one thought, you could say that one thought is reality. Yes, it comes forth from the being, the eternal being, the infinite being of God, and that one thought is reality. And that one thought, which is the word of God, as St. John uh, illuminates us in his gospel and in his letters, is the second person of God himself, the Logos. Yes. And so if you are in the Logos, if you are in Christ, you are in reality and able to see it and interpret it properly. 
that's my understanding of the culture wars that are going on today. Those, and this is, a, this, obviously this is a broad generalization, but those who, the, the, the more that you're in Christ, the more that you're able to understand reality as it is, the less you are, the more confused you become. And, and you know, as we have been seeing lately with our culture of insanity growing more and more. Your thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, I would say you're right. And for that, we would have to get to uh, touch base on something we mentioned on a prior episode was that uh, Jesus is the truth. Yes. So, yes. so, the, so the, if we look at it from that angle, if we are not aligned towards truth, then it's natural that we would be disorientated, discombobulated, not able to see things in their proper light. And mm-hmm. therefore we would not be able to make our way as well. I mean, think of, think of someone who has a, a good and sound map that guides them directly from point A to point B. So long as they stay with that known truth, they'll arrive at their destination as they ought to. Uh, but for someone who doesn't have that and is just sort of winging it, maybe kind of feeling their way about, maybe they'll get there, not through any fault of their own. Uh, and the most likely scenario is that they won't arrive at their destination. Yeah, yeah. And of course, what is life other than being on the road to the destination of eternal life, which is heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's and actually- that, and that's oh, why I, I was going to say, that's why Jesus says in the gospel of John chapter 14, uh, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, you know, nobody can get to the father, which is synonymous uh, with heaven. Nobody can get to the father, but through me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this word that we're talking about here that, which is generated or begotten of the father is truth is reality. And us, yes. cre- us created uh, beings uh, simply need to open our hearts and minds to this word, this eternal reality that comes forth from the bosom of the Father. Um, and that is, of course, later incarnated in Christ. But at this point in the creed, we haven't got to the incarnation yet. So we're still on the eternal second person of God. So, so John, he's begotten, generated, begotten of the Father, uh, but not made, which which means that he was never created in time. He was never created. Correct. Never created, always existed. And, and of course, the key thing to always remember, uh, anytime we're talking about any of the persons of God, uh, they should always be seen in light of uh, the essence of God. So even though there are distinct persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of them have the same essence. And that, that boilerplate uh, should be, that rubric should always be there whenever delving into this because it's very easy to get off track, particularly when you start exploring the possible, you know, like how, how does this happen in the Trinity? How does that happen? The, the rubric to always keep in mind is that they're of the same essence. Give me your favorite analogy, uh, earthly analogy to the Trinity. Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite, but easily the first one that comes to mind is the, is the three leaf clover. From yes. St. Patrick. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a, for those who haven't seen it, there's a very funny uh, Lutheran satire video of these two little cartoony Irish guys who are having a conversation with St. Patrick, um, who's an, an icon, and uh, they run through all these various Trinitarian heresies. I would say that their, their description, though, of the, of the, or rather the, the usage of the, the three-leaf clover 
as uh, as an instance of uh, heresy would probably be not exactly correct. I mean, in so much as that the, the clover itself has one essence. Yeah, I mean, one there is one flower. Exactly. It's, so there's there's one being there in that one flower, and yet there are correct. three distinct petals in that one being of a flower. Right, and that's and that's the the other important thing, of course, to to keep in mind with analogies is that analogies are never meant to convey something perfectly. If they right. convey uh, one or two things really well, then it, they've done their job. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be analogies. If that, they'd be identical to what you're talking about. Right. They, they right. wouldn't be analogies. And, yeah. and that's why someone could take something like the three-leaf clover and and take it so far that you would end up in heresy on the analogy. But if you keep it just sure. from the fact that there are there are three that there's three but also they are one one flower three petals one god three persons i get it yeah definitely now you already talked about this um uh, you, you you alluded to this about a minute ago but let's get into it the word consubstantial mm. in the former translation before when, when was the translation about four years ago or am i am i way off so funny because yeah, it, it wasn't that many years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah. You know what's funny? If you hold on one moment, believe it or not, I actually have one of those little cards that they had in all the pews. Oh, yeah, in all the pews, yeah. Let me see yeah. if I have a date on that one. All right. Moment. Should I sing them a song while you're gone? Oh, you're, right not even, you're not even gone. All right. Uh, so this is the card. What? What? What's it copyright say? 2010. No way. I don't know if you can see it on here. No way. Uh, copyright 2010. It's reversed. Uh, are you saying that this new translation has been around for 10 years? Yep. And this one's got the Nicene Creed on it. That's unbelievable. Yeah. What did I, I, <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I, I thought I was being generous in saying four years. I was going to say like two. Well, uh, 10 years. So Man, I'm you, so bad with time. You also, being a philosopher, are yeah. aware, I'm sure, are aware of the concept of psychological time, the phenomena that the, the older <laughs> yes. we get, the faster time seems to go. No question about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, what I was, the point I was getting at is in the older translation into the English, um, there wasn't the word consubstantial. They, they simply said one in being with the Father. Yes. This one says consubstantial with the Father. Basically means the same thing, right? Why don't you break it, it, break it, it down for us? It, it does, but uh, I would I think I would argue that the the updated translation is more in keeping with the philosophical language. No question about it. it it's yeah. definitely uh, in keeping with the original Greek at the Council of Nicaea. That's that's where this creed gets its name, yep. of course. The the Nicene Creed. Um, they did use the term consubstantial, which yes. means con means with. Yes. And substantial, of course, means of substance. Yes. So why don't you Sub talk, talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. So, so same substance. So in substance here, we could, we could, I think we could say is analogous to nature and essence here. So mm -hmm. basically of the same nature and of the same essence. So we don't mean substance like uh, someone's got a, a thing of goo in a cup and that is some weird substance. I think that's something important to, to, to point out. I think a lot of, when a lot of people hear the word substance today in our modern scientific age, they think of physical thing, a physical substance, yes. whereas the philosophical term substance simply means something that exists on its own. Yes. 
exactly. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, uh, it, it compares itself to accidents, like shape, color, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The substance is the thing itself. Right. And then okay. the accidents would be the incidental features that are not right. necessary for the nature of the thing. Right. So God, in this, in, in this terminology, even though he's limitless, there's no limits, there's no finite limits with God, he, he's still considered a substance uh, for the sake of this understanding, or, or our, for the sake of intelligibility, he is a, an eternal, infinite substance that uh, has distinguishing persons. Yes, yes. And, and just to, I think you almost alluded to it, but just to elaborate on that tiny little point, every single thing that we talk about God using human language mm. always falls short, of course. And I think that goes without saying, but it's a good reminder uh, whenever we get into the the, the nitty gritty, yeah. and I mean, we're, we we can only use analogical language because God yeah. is so far above that. Uh, in in our experience, our language has not been able to, or will not be able to, um, um, you know, comprehend God. Right. So, as well as Aquinas says, we really can only use language as to what God is not. <laughs> you know, the word eternal literally means not in time. The word infinite means not to be defined. So we, we all of these knots that we, all of these things that we know that creatures are bound to, the creator himself is not bound to. Yeah, that is, that is yeah. really interesting. He, he, trans, he transcends time. He transcends space. He's not matter. He's all these things that we aren't. And, and he's completely limitless. But... In order to understand him, at least apprehend God in this life, we need to use this kind of language to make it intelligible for us. And, uh, and he does reveal himself to us so we can know him to a certain degree, as we should. Um, so the second person of God is begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. So the Son and the Father share the same substance. Yes, yes. And of course, that's the part where most people's brains, particularly when they first encounter this, yeah. start going into Charlie horse mode. Because you think, how, how can there be two distinct persons and yet the same substance? Uh, meaning the exact same nature, the exact same essence. Same being. The same, same being. And, and that's where we actually have to accept that on faith, meaning trust. Um, but we don't, but it's not, it's not an odd faith or trust in something that's not reasonable. And that's the key. The uh -huh. reason why we accept it is because it comes directly from God and reason lets us know that all that comes from God is without error because God is without error. Right. Absolutely. And in, in our finite minds, because we're so used to the human race and talking, talking with this language, with God, you can be, or you are, if you're God, one being and several persons. You can't be that with human beings. If you are two persons, you are two beings. If you are three persons as a human, you are three beings. In God, he is one being, yet three distinct persons in that one being. That's what we have to apprehend to a certain degree, but accept on faith. It's, it's the greatest, most central mystery of Christianity, is it not? Oh, yes, it is. And, and that's why, and, and I think this is uh, why it's important that even though our language immensely falls short of what God truly is, 
it's still very important that we use as precise a language as possible. And the reason why is if we, if we miss the mark, we miss big on the most important thing in our life. Begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. That's all we got tonight. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is our line for tonight. So you want to delve deeper beneath the surface on any of this? Uh, yeah, I just want to throw a little, so we've hit this, I think, mostly from a uh, reason we did hit a little scripture. If I may mm. just add the beginning of John, um, which I think uh, adds to that. Uh, so we have, and I'll just read it verbatim here. So this is right in the beginning of John's gospel. Okay. In the beginning was the word. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So there's an indication uh, for thinking uh, uh, so the word was with God and the word was God. So there, there's almost an, it seems to me just reading this right now that there seems to be an implication that there is, there is the quality of being the same essence, the word was God, but then the word was with God, that there's also some distinction to be made, which is really fascinating. It, it's, it's, so, it's, it's perhaps my favorite line in the entire Bible, but at least the top, top five, top 10. Um, no question about it. It's an incredible line that you could ponder for all eternity. And uh, in a show or two ago, we did ponder this line together, mm. but it, it, you make such an important point. That's if you were just to read that line, John chapter one, verse one, without faith, you'd say this author just contradicted himself. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and of course, without faith too, you're probably not even doing a deep dive on what does this word yeah. mean? Right. Um, and here, according to Aquinas, he would talk about the word as being a, an image of the intellect. Uh, but the, but the perfection of all, all goods is found in God. And what we have here in this world, is, of course, is analogous to that. It bears the image, but to a far, far lesser degree. So this image of the intellect in God is so perfect that I suppose we could say that image is God, because that happens within yeah. the within God Himself. And again, it, this is this is like Charlie Horse in the Brain territory here when we try and contemplate this because yeah. we don't actually have anything exactly like it in this world. We only have things that are analogous to it. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.